Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Throwback Bookstack. If you haven't listened before, I am one of your hosts, Kelly. And I am Emily. And every two weeks or so, depending when I get an episode out, um, we get together and we talk about books that we read as kids, and then we look back at them through the lens of adulthood. We look at back at them with shame at our younger selves, joy at our younger selves, judgment at our younger selves. This week we are reading James and the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl. It came out in 1961, and this is one that probably most of you have heard of, if not all of you. This is a book that we actually were required to read in school. Oh, I was not. Yes, I read this as a class assignment in, Ooh. I do believe, the fourth grade. Do you have a book report for me? No. <laughs> Sorry. I'm disappointed. I, I really like the last one you brought in. <laughs> I'll try to dig up some more old book reports for you. Thank you. For this one, no. But I do very clearly remember reading it and reading the specific edition that was like for schools. There was an edition for schools? Yeah, there's always like an edition that the schools buy that's like the special one put out that's like a little cheaper and they buy in bulk and it's like... So I read this once just because I was a kid that read all the Roald Dahl books, so I think I read this in second grade and have not read it since. So this was a journey for me. Um, so this was a case where we had both read the book and um, I think we're going to go ahead and summarize it for you. So if you haven't read it or if you read it so long ago you don't remember any of it, um, we'll take you through it all so you can join us in this conversation. If you do want to read it first, uh, pause the podcast here and come back to us. Which of us wants to summarize this? I got this. All right, go for it. Okay, so this starts out as the story of this little kid who lives in Britain. His name is James Henry Trotter. And it starts out and he has like a nice early life. But then his parents are tragically killed when a rhinoceros escapes from the zoo and tramples them. As happens. So he's sent to go live with his two aunts, Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spiker, who are basically, I don't want to say mean to the point of legit, of like, very abusive to him. They do not care for him. They are just do not like him at all. And they make his life pretty miserable. So he has this, like, kind of miserable existence for a while. Until one day, a guy with a bag full of magic things. <laughs> They're described as looking kind of like crystals, but the size of rice. They're glowing green. He claims they're made out of crocodile tongues, among other things, but kind of like a, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk type, like, hey boy, here's some magic stuff for you. Do not trust this man. <laughs> yeah. And so James takes them and he's supposed to like soak them in water and all this stuff and basically recite this spell that will make his life better. But instead he trips on a tree root of the, like, peach tree that no longer can even make peaches anymore in their backyard. And they all spill on the ground. And that's when things go crazy. So the peach tree in their backyard grows a gigantic peach. Like, immediately, right there. And when I say gigantic, I mean it's described as being bigger than a house. It is huge. The ants try to capulate on this, and they build up a giant fence. Capitalize? Oh my god, what I say? Capulate? Yeah. I don't know what a capulate is. <laughs> no one does. Capitalize. There we go. <laughs> the ants try to make money off this. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> they build a giant fence around so no one can see it, and then they sell tickets to come in and see it. And of course, everyone wants to. Of course, because they are apparently very hard up for entertainment in that corner of England. 
one night, and they won't let, like, James has no friends. He's pretty isolated with them. He just has these abusive aunts, and he wants to go out and meet the little kids, but the aunts are like, no, you have to stay in the house when people are here. But then after everyone leaves, you have to go out and clean. So he goes out one night afterwards when everyone is gone and is supposed to be picking up the trash, and he notices a tunnel in the peach. And is like, I wonder what's up here. And so he, like, crawls through it, and he gets to the center where there is, as they say in the book, because, again, Britain, a giant peach stone, but it's the pit. And there's, like, a door in it, and he opens it up and goes inside, and there is a bunch of giant insects. And the insects are like, we've been waiting for you. At first he thinks they're going to eat them, but that's not the case. They just all somehow, which is never explained, know how he is, who he is and that they should be waiting for him. I assume it's because they're insects that have lived around and have seen James. I guess. But it also made it sound like they didn't super have consciousness until they ate the weird things from the weird guys. So it it's complicated. It definitely comes up that they definitely all ate one of the weird green things that he dropped on the ground. And they suddenly have, like, all this knowledge of things. Human things, you know? They all speak English and stuff. They all somehow have... Not all of them, I guess, but some of them have human clothes things. Uh, so let's see. There's a grasshopper, ladybug, uh, spider, centipede, silkworm, and glowworm, and earthworm. Yeah. worms. So many worms. Yeah. So some of them have, like, like the centipede has a hat and shoes. The shoes are a big plot point because he has so many legs. He's constantly taking his boots on and off. Anyway, so James meets all these insects Decides they're not going to eat him. Helps the centipede take off his shoes. They all go to bed. And then the next morning, they're like, it's time? Basically, what happens is the peach breaks free. It rolls away. Because they're set up on the top of a hill. So they roll down the hill. They roll over both the ants and flatten them. Like, the two abusive ants are just like, kill. With the term (laughs) murder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not murder because they didn't plan it. Didn't they? I don't think so. I think it's just an unfortunate accident where they died. Mm-hmm. They didn't plan for them to be standing in front of it. They wanted to escape the ants, but they didn't specifically want to kill them. They just weren't sad that they happened to die. I listen to a lot of podcasts where two women discuss unfortunate accidents. Uh-huh. I'm just saying. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, it rolls down the hill and then eventually ends up in the ocean. And it starts to float across the ocean. While they're in the ocean, suddenly they, well, first they figure out, because they're all like, we're hungry. And James is like, well, we can eat the peach. And they're like, but that's what we're in. And he's like, do you know how big, this is literally the size of a house. Like, we can eat a lot of this before we will run out of peach. And so they all eat the peach, but then they notice there's a bunch of sharks gathering and trying to eat the peach. And then they freak out, and they feel like the peach is starting to sink, and they're getting closer to the scarves. Scarves. What is wrong with me today? They're getting closer to the sharks. Fancy sharks wearing scarves. And so that's when James has the idea, and the silkworm and spider spin, like, ropes for him, basically, and he lures down seagulls with the earthworm, and then loops them and ties them to the stem of the peach. They loop 502 seagulls, and it lifts them out of the water, and they start to fly. So they fly away from the sharks. And then they're all sitting on top of the peach being like, all right, we should watch out for things. And they go up in the clouds. And because the peach flies silently, unlike planes, which make a lot of noise, they discover that there are people who live in the clouds, made out of clouds, kind of. Cloud men. Cloud men. And they run into them, and the centipede kind of taunts them and stuff. And they basically make a bunch of enemies. 
So they have a couple run-ins with them. The cloud men throw hail at them, which I will come back to later. They accidentally hit a rainbow and break it and get covered <laughs> in rainbow paint. Um, the cloud men dump a bunch of rain on them. But they finally break through the clouds and they come up upon New York City because they flew across the entire Atlantic Ocean overnight? <laughs> Question mark? Time is a little sketchy on this. It, and, um, it seems like a very fast trip over the Atlantic because, yeah, it is like a night. Yeah, and so they end up in New York City. He has the idea to try and land by, like, slowly clipping the strings one by one so it kind of, like, floats down. And so they do that to, like, three strings of the seagull, um, but then a jet flies by and cuts all the strings at once, and it falls, and it spikes itself on the Empire State Building. So they're kind of stuck up there for a second, and New York is freaking out because this giant orb just floated over and then, like, fell on the Empire State Building. So they go up to meet him, and all these insects come out. They all think they're, like, aliens or something. James tells the whole story and, like, wins over the city of New York. They have, like, a giant parade with a peach, and while they're, like, parading down the street, all these children run up and ask James if they can eat it, and he's like, of course, because he's never got to be around children before his own age, and the children eat it all the way down to the pit. And it basically ends up that they all stay in America and get jobs there, they all start a life there, and James lives in the pit in the middle of Central Park and people can come and talk to him and he can have as many friends as he likes and he has all these insects buddies and that's the end. It is a shockingly short book when you reread it as an adult, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm really elaborating on some things because it could have, I think, easily been cut down a little more and been basically like a picture book and not a chapter book. Like, so, so to roll this back, what do you remember about this book when you were a kid? I'm not going to lie to you that I didn't own this book. I just read it for school. So it's not a book that I reread a lot. So most of my memory comes from seeing the film. My sister, who is 10 years older than me at the time, was had a new boyfriend. And he was trying to earn brownie points with her, so he offered to take me to see James and the Giant Peach in the theaters. So, for context, there was a James and the Giant Peach film in 1996. Apparently there was also a television adaptation in B on uh, BBC One in 1976. But this one is the Tim Burton version from 1996. Yeah, so my sister's boyfriend took me. That made a huge impression on me, both because I remember him and his name, and I was like, he was great! What a good boyfriend! But also, most of the stuff I remembered was the movie. Mm -hmm. like, even rereading it, I could see the movie so clearly in my mind, more than the book. I did remember a lot of the plot points once I got into it, but not necessarily the book. Apparently there is also a musical. Yeah, I heard that, and yeah. I was like, what? So, in a previous life, I actually spent a lot of time in the children's theater scene and somehow never ran across the fact that there was a James and the Giant Peach musical. The fact that I was never involved with one is wild to me. Yeah. I've done some things. I've seen some things. None of them were James and the Giant Peach as a musical, but apparently it exists. Um, I've never seen the film. I knew there was a film. I, for some reason, thought it was actually more recent than the 90s. I, if you had asked me, hey, there was a James and the Giant Peach movie, when did it come out? I'd be like, 2006. No, 10 years off. Um, I actually really liked the film. I don't know if that still stands, but I loved it as a kid. I could make you watch it. Nope. <laughs> Someday we need to do bonus episodes where we watch like the random films we mentioned so that you and I can have an excuse to watch the Voyage of the Dawn Treader movie. Oh, that's so true. But yeah. 
It's five dollars at Target. Give me a reason to buy it. This film started off live action, and mm. then when he goes into the peach, it turns into claymation. I, that's the thing is, I I've never seen the movie, but I vaguely remember seeing like a commercial with like claymation and a giant peach. But then I don't remember how it resolves. Like I feel it resolves where like he turns back into a human boy, but the insects have to stay claymation because. The one thing I will say about the book that I kind of remember, because it's the same with all Roald Dahl books, is that they have illustrations in them. Yes. And I will say that the illustrations work very hard to make these giant insects not seem like a nightmare. (laughs) They're very friendly cartoon insects. Yeah. Even I, who am deathly afraid of spiders, was not scared by this spider illustration. Which is crazy. Yeah. Because I am a big wimp about spiders. I am not a good bug person, but still, I was like, oh, these are cute cartoon bugs. Good job, illustrator. Yeah, they make them very, very not bug-like. For me, I'd never seen the movie. What I remember is very little, because I read this in second grade and never read it again. I think I was more invested in a lot of his other books. Like, I read Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, whatever one it is, multiple times. I read some of his other books more than this one. This was like... I felt below my grade level and I just, I read it once and it was done. So what I recall is really, I remember there's this kid, James, things aren't great. There's a giant peach he has an adventure with and he has bug friends. And so I was like, oh man, this is going to be a charming adventure of James and his bug friends. Since it seems like it's at a little bit of a lower grade level than some of the other books I remember, surely it is not as fucked up as all of other Roald Dahl's books. Wrong. It is as fucked up, if not more than his other books. Yeah, I kind of went into it thinking this would be a little bit of a slog. Like, I was like, I remember the plot points. Boy, bugs, they go across the ocean. Ugh. And I, like, wasn't looking forward to rereading it. But I had more fun than I thought I would. Yeah. Like, the pace is pretty quick. It's very Gulliver's Travels yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, it reminds me a lot of my experience when I first read Gulliver's Travels and the Canterbury Tales of you have this kid going on adventures to different places where he quickly goes through these different worlds where these... There's fantastical creatures that are just assumed to be normal in there. Like the cloud men and like this. So it moves really fast. Everything sort of makes sense within the context of the world. There's a lot of violent death. Apparently this book is challenged a lot for the fact that everyone done get murdered in this book. That's the thing I'm learning about our podcast is the amount of books I read as a kid where everyone dies and I did not retain that fact at all. I will remember that if there's cute animals or cute bugs. Oh, what's that? Tons of people get murdered? Didn't remember. Well, it's not even that they get murdered, but it's also just that this book is very, like, gruesome and dark in a lot of ways. Children are sociopaths. Which I, like, had kind of remembered from Roald Dahl books in general, but I had remembered it more from other books more than this one. Yeah, same. And it starts you out real fast, because, like, his parents are brutally trampled by a rhino in, like, literally the first paragraph. Oh, I know we don't normally get into quotes till later, but I want to read this real fast right here because, yeah, it happens very early and it's something where you realize right away, oh no, this is what we're doing now. So on page, like the first page of the book, like you see chapter title one, you get to paragraph two. Then one day, James's mother and father went to London to do some shopping and there a terrible thing happened. Both of them suddenly got eaten up, in full daylight, mind you, on a crowded street by an enormous angry rhinoceros which had escaped from the London Zoo. So not only do they die, 
often books are about children who are orphans because their parents die in a train crash or a plane crash or some sort of other tragedy. Here, not only were they murdered in a freak accident, they were brutally eaten, and not they. the book makes sure to point out that they were murdered in full view, full daylight, in front of a crowd. Like, what's the worst scenario we can think of to put in paragraph two of our children's book? Yeah, the thing I'm really learning is how much children don't... Experience empathy. Yeah, like, they're a little bit of a sociopath. Like, they just don't quite get being in another person's mind, I guess, or skin, or whatever. Like, There's less of a sense of horror at things that are horrible. There's just more things I've read now, like, rereading and been like, this is so tragic, or this is, like, horrifying. But as a kid, I was just like, haha, yeah. And, like, like even this is kind of, like, not exactly played for laughs, but, like, kind of played for laughs a little bit. Like, Paragraph three of the book goes into how no. James basically then gets beaten repeatedly. Like, yeah. it's in the in the theme of orphan children that are then repeatedly beaten by relatives. This does not make, like, a good, wholesome case for what to do with children, like, how to deal with family adoptions after tragedy. Right. I mean, I think it's the point that it's, like, as a kid, the reason you can side with it is that even if you had a perfectly normal, lovely childhood, you, there's always those points where you think your upbringing is so unfair and you think your parents are terrible and all that. And You're going like, to run away it's a and weird, find your real parents. Right, because I didn't remember how much of this book is like a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd really forgotten that. And like, there is the whole like magic man with his magic rice crystals or whatever. It's the dude with the magic beans. Exactly. But there's also the fact of like, it's a boy who's in a situation that he's miserable Whatever that situation may be, with him, it's a legit, like, his aunts are abusive and this is kind of sketchy, but it's, you're in that place where it's like, you don't know what other people's lives are like, you think your life is the worst, and here comes a magic man and a magic solution that makes your life better, and I think that's what kids are relating to. That's why you like it as a kid. Mm -hmm. It's just impressive to me because Jack and the Beanstalk is already a fucked up story. Right. They're like, hey, what if we took Jack and the Beanstalk and made it more fucked up? Right, well, that's what's crazy as an adult, is we're reading it being like, wow, that rhino thing isn't funny anymore. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like, um, oh yeah, the fact that this kid is beaten repeatedly by his aunts yeah. and tortured all the time is not fun as an Even adult. Even they're murdered, like, and then that's also not as fun as and then that's a kid, where it's like, oh, they got their cup up, come up in. It's like... Yeah, it's like, no, they got squished, dead. Yeah, but as a kid, that kind of violence, I mean... It's kind of like this whole, like, wily e. Coyote thing. Where yeah. Like, I'm not saying it makes kids more violent or something, but it is that kind of, like, over-dramatic, these people were horrible to you, but then they got squished by a giant peach type of thing that as a kid is funny, but as an adult, it's like... As an adult, I, you know, like, the consequences and cause and effect, so you can see what, like, the aftermath of it is. Yeah, as an adult, it's like, I, even though they are written as cartoons... I'm like, man, but there are kids who do have abusive guardians. Who, mm -hmm. like, so it's a little bit different, I think, reading that as an adult than as a kid. You know, it's kind of like the itchy and scratchy cartoons or something. You know, yeah. it's like, it's so over the top that that's where the humor comes in. But I can also see why you're like, this isn't funny. I don't really love this violence. But However, the whole book is like, hello there. Here is this veneer of violence. Which, again, I did not remember at all. So it was a very strange experience of... Oh, of course, a Roald Dahl book is full of violence. But on the other hand, Chains and the Giant Peach is for, like, kid, like ch children, children. It is. I was shocked at how short it was. Yeah. It took, like, 
maybe a half hour to read. Yeah, like, super easy read. Super easy. It's, there's tons of illustrations in the classic. If you haven't read any Roald Dahl books, I don't know how to describe these illustrations to you, but they're like the Roald Dahl book illustrations. Yeah, it's a like, very specific genre um, of illustration. I had not remembered, I do believe, most of the cloud people. No. And that gets into something I want to talk about, Kelly. Tell me about your feelings on the cloud people, okay, Emily. They get to the cloud people. Yes. The centipede, like, pisses them off, basically, and stuff. The cloud people start throwing hail at them. And then James is like, hailstones? They're making hailstones. And they throw them at them. They damage the peach. But there's a part where the centipede's like, hailstones, the centipede said. That's ridiculous. This is the summertime. You don't have hailstones in the summertime. They're practicing for the winter, James told him. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. Please explain weather to me, Emily. I'm... Emily explains weather. I am willing to imagine that hailstones is like a weird British mistranslation. Kind of how I know still to this day after watching 10 seasons of The Great British Bake Off, do not quite understand what a biscuit is to them. (laughs) One time, and I'm not even kidding, they had a biscuit thing on there. And one of the judges said, this isn't a biscuit, it's a cookie. And my damn mind blew up, because what does that mean? Anyway... Hailstones only come in the summer. Hailstones are not a winter phenomenon. Hail comes when you have... Alright, let me explain some things to you. Wait. No, we have hail in the winter. No, you do not. What? You have something else. You might have sleet or freezing rain, but you do not have hail. You might even have a big snowflake, I guess. I don't... No, not here (laughs) now. But there are many different things. Hail is a specific phenomenon that usually only occurs in thunderclouds, where the updrafts in the clouds mean that, so all rain and stuff usually starts out as frozen, it melts as it falls down, but because the updrafts in the clouds, it pushes it back up to the top of the clouds where it refreezes, and then starts to fall again, and then it pushes back up, and then it refreezes another layer. It's kind of like making a snowball, only in reverse, because the wind keeps pushing it back up. Where it gets bigger every time because it refreezes uh-huh. until it becomes too heavy and the wind can't push it up and it falls and that's hail. Then there's things like sleet. Okay, so snow is just frozen water that falls, obviously, because the weather is like, you know, all cold everywhere. Then there's like sleet, which is kind of like partially melted, but not all the way. And then there's freezing rain, which falls as rain, but it's when the ground is so cold that it refreezes when it hits the ground or when it's very close which is how you get those dangerous sheets of ice. My point is is that hailstones only occur in the summer. (laughs) And it really pissed me off. You know I like weather. Don't look at me like that. This is just a lot I had never considered because I don't live in thunderstorm territory. (laughs) Yeah, so hail isn't a thing that occurs in the winter. It literally only occurs in the summer in, like, thunderstorms. So that thing I get is sleet? Probably. I don't know what thing you get. (laughs) Huh. Describe how it falls and I can maybe so, tell you. <laughs> first there was rain and you're like, fuck, I hate rain. And then the rain starts making noise and you watch it bounce and it's a hard object and you're like, oh no. I mean, you might be talking about hail, but... I thought this was winter, but maybe not winter. It's just we don't get a lot of precipitation not in fall or winter. Yeah, so sleet can also, especially if it's small, because like basically sleet is kind of like partially frozen. 
Like, it's like a mixture almost. Okay. So there are little, like, ice chunks. Like, you kind of have, like, yeah, a droplet. Yeah, you get it mixed with rain. It's, like, like kind of melty, but there's a little bit. So you can see it. I mean, raindrops can bounce, too. But, but like, sleet, it's a different bouncing. It's something a... that stays behind, where you're yeah. like, oh, look, there is an object of ice that has yeah. remained. Sleet is basically just disgusting. Like, snow is also disgusting, but you can, well, yes. like, brush it off your sleeves. Sleet, you can't because it's too wet, but it's also, like, kind of, like, goopy in the ice way. I'm not outside gross. during any of this. It is, I am looking at a window. Freezing rain is just where you get the frozen ground. I'm looking at a window. Rain is rain. Rain is happening. And then the rain turns into something that bounces off and is a physical hard chunk of ice that is on the ground. I mean, if it's in the summer, it could be hail. I could No, we don't get precipitation in the summer. That's not a thing. Well, I mean, if it's in a warm time, I guess. It could be. That's true. I mean, it really depends on the clouds above you. And I guess November is still fall. Yeah, but November is warm here. So yeah. I think you're thinking of hail. Okay. But it's not like... It's not like January. Yeah, you wouldn't go to like a, a cold place in the winter and get chunks of ice and be like, look at the hail. Emily, I wouldn't go to a cold place in the winter. <laughs> you fool. We live in a warm place. I should. We live somewhere warm. It's nice. <laughs> anyway, so my point is that really pissed me off. What was my point before that? Oh, I didn't remember the cloud people. Okay. That just distracted me. Yes. And the rainbow they break through. Yeah, that was weird That was too. a lot emotionally. Yeah. Here's the thing that I didn't remember. I remember James had fun insect friends. I didn't remember that all his friends were dicks. These are bad friends. These are not good friends. These are useless friends. Other than Glowworm. Glowworm seems fine. I mean, they're all insects, so... Centipede is a dick. Yeah. I did not like Centipede as much as the book They all ordered him around. They were all shooting at him, even though he was the only one doing anything useful. Like, everyone kind of sucked. And suddenly he's... But he's so grateful for them. He's so grateful to have friends. All he wanted was children to play with. Instead, he got these shitty adult bug people. I don't think they were as shitty as I think you do, but they weren't super great. Centipede Centipede was definitely, yeah, he definitely sucked, and everyone kept being like, what a rascal. And I was like, no, he's flat out sucks. Centipede is your toxic friend that you have at every party who gets super fucking drunk and needs everyone to take his shoes off and help him get his jacket on, lest he fucking suffocate himself trying to undo the zipper on his coat. And he's that shitty friend that y'all need to cut out of your fucking life. If you have a centipede in your life... Get him to the curb. Yeah, he definitely stays like 42 feet and he was like making a big deal about he had these boots and every time he wanted to like get up or go to bed, James had to help him take them all on and off. It took two hours. But it took forever and he didn't help at all and he fell asleep while James was doing it, but James was still awake. And like they kept saying he was a rascal, but like he was the one who was taunting the glove people for no reason that made them throw hail at them to start with. Like, it was really about how James went from living in an abuse cycle to finding another abuse cycle, and it was deeply viscerally upsetting I to me. Some of the other ones were okay. Like Ladybug seemed nice. Ladybug was fine, just very. Spider seemed nice. Ladybug was kind of stuck up. They were. I mean, none of them. I guess the problem is also is that the book is so short. And so much of it is taken up by Centipede and his antics. Oh my god. Also, did we mention the weird song poems? No, I was going to get to that. Okay. So there's a bunch of, like, quote-unquote songs in this book. Like, every time something big happens, one of them starts singing about it in these, like, weird, rolled-out rhyme things. Yeah. That are supposed to be funny and amusing, but man, as an adult, I was like, Every time there was a little, like, poem song, I basically groaned out loud. Like, I was like, no, not again. He does one, the reason I brought it up was he does one to explain all his insect friends, and I was like, I hate this. 
Yeah, that's what convinces the city of New York that they're cool, is that he does a, like, song poem about all the insects. God. It's like how I feel whenever Tom Bombadil rolls in in Lord of the Rings. I'm like, oh, good, I'm gonna flip a few pages, because I don't... The song poem thing does not translate well in text. Like, if it's, it's, it's obviously meant to be read out loud to your kid or heard. It's not written in a way that's visually pleasing to me that yeah. makes sense as a written poem. It needs... Here's the An thing. auditory component, but that's not what I'm here for. Real songs, if you just take their lyrics, aren't as good without the force of the music giving you the emotion behind it. Mm -hmm. And poems, even you have like, you need to read them aloud yeah. to have their rhythm. The rhythm does not quite work as much when they are not being read al read yeah. aloud. Also, a lot of the poems are a lot, but like if you're a good poet, that's like what you do. It's not just. Yeah. I don't know. These all, like, rhymed and had, like... They were cutesy. They're good if you're reading this book out loud to your kid. If you are reading this book while sitting on a train, you are screaming inside your head, like me. Did you relate to any character in this book? Was there any character Abs you felt on a vis visceral level? Absolutely not. I didn't relate to any single character. Like, Same. possibly maybe the cop who fainted when he saw the <laughs> insects in New York City. But yeah. no, I mean, James was, like, nice, but there wasn't really much to relate to. And again, this is basically a, a small step above a fairy tale. Like, this is what you give to a kid who's graduated into, like, just reading chapter books. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of substance. What you know about James is basically that he's not a dick. You know, he's very nice. He's nicer than his ants deserve. He's nicer than the insects deserve. He's smart enough. And he wants to have friends. Yeah. And it's like, that's great. Like, I don't dislike him, but there's also not a lot to relate to there. So, no, and like you said, I either didn't know much about the insects or didn't really think they were that great. So it was like, even though this book is fun and, I might mention, very funny, like, there was a lot of the dialogue that I thought was genuinely funny. And oh, yeah. The character work was not, like... Wow, these characters. <laughs> yeah, it was very much a fairy tale. Like, all the characters were big and exaggerated, and they, it was really about the adventure they were going on and not who they were on the adventure and who they became. It was, this boy has a wish. He wants friends, and this is the journey that takes him to those friends along the way. The real story I wanted was the story about how this rhinoceros escaped from the zoo. That was the actual story I wanted. And also, why was he so angry? Like, I know. What were they doing to him? There needs to be an expose on that zoo, because, like, Look, I'm not saying that a rhinoceros maybe wouldn't stampede or something if it gets out, but, like, I don't know. They don't seem like, unless they're provoked, that they would just go around. I could see if I were a rhino rhinoceros and I escaped into London after a long period of captivity, I would feel anxiety. I would be nervous about the buses and other sort of vehicles I was not used to. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely 100% go on a panicked rampage. How did he get out to the zoo, though, too? Not just yeah. his cage, but, like, the zoo also. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the best zoo. I'm sorry, London Zoo. I'm sorry that you were slandered in this way. Offense, London Ugh. Zoo. <laughs> I've been to some very, very good zoos. I like how you pushed your glasses up when you said that to give extra emphasis. Shout out to Omaha Zoo. <laughs> Shout out to St. Louis Zoo. No, that's it. That's the only two shout-outs that I'm giving. <laughs> you heard me every other zoo in the world. Offense. Get better. San Diego. I haven't been there. Go there. I've heard. Those three are usually the top three. Mm -hmm. I've only been to two out of the top three. Not really a zoo person. Animals in captivity. 
make me sad. Yeah, that's why I like these zoos, is that they somehow manage to, like, they make sure you know, like, why they're in captivity, why it's good. Yes, like, what, what they're research doing, they're doing, how they're, these are, like, it's helping the wild. Free, free cages as much as they can. You're not watching a sad polar bear in a bathtub. Yeah. Although, I did go to the polar bear exhibit at the St. Louis Zoo, which, again, they explained how they have the polar bear and why it has to be in captivity. I think it was, like, kind of a rescue from another bad situation or something, and they're like, we can't release it in the wild, blah, blah, blah. They built this entire new exhibit for it and stuff. It's huge. It has all this room. It has places they can go where no one can see it, so they can get away from humans. But they have, a like, wall of glass, basically. It can come up right against and it's a part that's against the water, so can we do it if it's swimming? And I went with my brother to see it, and he was like, here's the polar bear exhibit. And I was like, oh, what's this? And the polar bear comes and, like, gets right against it. And my first instinct was to, like, very, very quickly back up ten feet. And I was like, we gotta go. I didn't know I was scared of bears till right now. Do you see that fucking thing? I have bad news for you about polar bears. Ten feet is not enough. You know about polar bears, right? I know, but that's why I had to yeah. get back. Because, like, all these other people were still, like, against the glass. Because, like, it's glass. It's not getting through. It's not even trying. It was literally just swimming. It wasn't being aggressive at all. Because what is it? If the bear is black, fight back. If the bear is brown, lay down. If the bear is white, good night. Because polar bears will murder the shit out of you. I just never have been that close to a bear in my life. Yeah. And that includes the time I was in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot and a fucking black bear walked through. I was really excited where that story went and I was really happy with the ending. But even that was further away and I was still terrified and I was like, fucking bears. Your human instinct when you're that close to a bear is like, get out Which now. is fair. <laughs> I have never been in a presence of a non-captive bear. I do very much enjoy the sun bear. Cutest of bears. Lies in tree. Very good bear. Um, but yeah, I think if I saw a black bear, I would run the fuck away because one thing I do know from watching too much Animal Planet is bears are super fast. Yeah, I know. I went to Yellowstone one time and there was a grizzly bear and it was like, I want to say something like 500 yards away. And there's, like, rangers warning us. They're like, well, it's 500 yards. If you want to, you can go over there and look at it, but we don't recommend getting closer because of how fast they run. And if it turns, we were all like, now nah, we're good. We're going to drive in the opposite direction of that bear. Yeah, like, like, I feel like you and I are going to be the two of the last people on Earth that would get killed because we try to take selfies with a wild animal. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> we're like, no, we're good. In fact, I would like to be further away from this animal. Unless it's a snake. I do have a weakness for snakes. That's true. You would get killed by snakes, but you would not be taking a selfie with the snake. You would be hugging the snake. They're so cute. This is also me with mountain lions, so I understand. I am like, hello, kitty. <laughs> I lost my entire train of thought to Cloud get off people. on Susan. No. <laughs> Bad. I don't know. Um... I have a, one more point I wanted to make, and then I, it was published in 1961, so it does have a little bit of that, like, kind of older, timey feel to it. Like, it's not exactly slangy, but just something about the way he phrases things. It's very charming. Yeah, and it also is, like, British, but not too British. <laughs> like, like I, I can understand what they're saying. Unlike the time I went to Britain and could not understand them to the point where I told someone that I had never had a strawberry before because I did not know what they were saying. And I was like, I've never even heard of that fruit. That's not the point, but the point is, is that, like, for instance, that he says peach stone instead of peach pit, and you're like, charming. I know what you mean, though. You mean pit. You mean stone. We're the ones doing it wrong, technically. No. How dare you. <laughs> How dare you. Our language is the one that drifted. That's not entirely true. I just like to watch you get really like. I'm not going down this argument. I know. I'm just I know. It's really you. fun to do with you, though. 
Yeah, I found that writing, it's really charming. It's really fun. Like, Roald Dahl is known for just having really, like, a colorful world that's very fun. It's very fast to get through, but it's it's descriptive in exactly the right way. Like, it gives you a good visual punch in your head, mm -hmm. while it's also very, it's fun to read. Like, the words are delight, but also super violent. Do you have any quotes you want to share? I know there's, like, a lot going on in this book. I do. Most of my quotes were just dialogue. I just, his dialogue is so snappy and fun and just like reminded me why I liked him so much when I was younger. Well, like for instance, I have a lot of legs, the centipede answered proudly, and a lot of feet, 100 to be exact. There he goes again, the earthward cried, speaking for the first time. He simply cannot stop telling lies about his legs. He doesn't have anything like a hundred of them. He's only got 42. The trouble is most people don't bother to count them. They just take his word. And anyway, there's nothing marvelous, you know, Centipede, about having a lot of legs. Poor fellow, the Centipede said, whispering in James' ear. He's blind. He can't see how splendid I look. I um, would like to share a quote. Go on. It is a quote that helps sum up sort of how the violence is described in this book. It is how Aunt Spiker and Aunt Sponge get killed. They gaped. They screamed. They started to run. They panicked. They both got in each other's way. They began pushing and jostling, and each of them was thinking only about saving herself. Aunt Sponge, the fat one, tripped over a box that she'd brought along to keep the money in, and fell flat on her face. Aunt Spiker immediately tripped over Aunt Sponge and came down on top of her. They both lay on the ground, fighting and clawing and yelling and struggling frantically to get up again. But before they could do this, the mighty peach was upon them. There was a crunch, and then there was silence. The peach rolled on, and behind it, Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spiker lay ironed out upon the grass, as flat and thin and lifeless as a couple of paper dolls cut out of a picture book. I'm like, that is really well-written violence, and an interesting way to make something that's really gruesome be something you could hand to a child. <laughs> they make a point of when the peach rolls down the hill into the ocean, Describing it first from the outside, which is where that quote comes from, but then they describe it from the inside, where they talk about how, and he literally uses the word nightmare, mm -hmm. like it was a nightmare journey, because you're just like rolling around, and there's nothing to hold on to, they all get like tumbled, it all hurts, and it was like kind of a weird thing that made this, even though it's a fairy tale, it managed to stay, like it feels more real because of things like that. Like, it's a fantastical world, but it's also like, but there are still bumps and <laughs> bruises and people being obnoxious. <laughs> like, yeah, I have other quotes, but it's all just, just dialogue. His dialogue is just so, it snaps, you know? It's just so good. It was way more entertaining than I remembered it being, to be quite honest. I want to talk about something with this book, which is that, did you know this book was one of, like, uh, I mean, one of the most banned books for a while? I am not surprised after reading is. that. I did not know that, but it checks out. Yeah, there's a lot of different reasons it's banned. There's ones that are saying that it's too scary for the age groups um, because of all the magic in it. You know, people hate magic. There's one for because of sexual inferences. Okay, so that one is specifically, it seems like, a town in Wisconsin in the mid-80s banned the book. This comes up in a couple times in my <laughs> research. Banned the book because of one scene that features the spider licking her lips, where they said it could be taken as sexual. 
which is crazy. These people never have dry uh, lips. What's up with their climate? Right. There's profanity in it because at one point he uses the word ass to describe someone. There's racism. Profanity is different in England. The racism is, I can admit, I did see the line they were talking about and it did stick out to me. Which one? Um, there's one where he says something about, I'd rather be fried up and eaten by a Mexican. Ugh. But it was also weird because I was like, I feel like this feels like it's racist to me. But I'm also not aware of any weird negative stereotypes that are quite that specific about, like, people eating crickets or grasshoppers. Like, but I don't that know. definitely it's a that... weird, but just, like, the way he says it, I was like, I get that this sticks out as something that seems like we wouldn't say this nowadays. Yeah. Um, that's not great. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's that uh, very 60s racism that you yeah. see in very 60s children books. Yeah. But then references to Gross. tobacco and alcohol. And yeah. And claims that it promotes disobedience, drugs, and communism. I mean, I guess all the children eat the peach at the end. I have no clue about the There's free peach things. for all the children in the town, because the, as it's rolling down the street, they tell all the children of New York to eat this peach. Yeah. I guess that counts. But anyway, yeah. Is that communism? I don't know. But I do know it was very banned, and it was very interesting. I mean, there was also people arguing that just the book is very dark mm -hmm. in a weird way for a children's book. I don't think you should ban it. It's an interesting concept because, again, I can see that darkness more reading it as an adult, but it wasn't there when I was a kid. Like, I didn't see it in the same way. And I feel like it's really unfortunate there are places that can't see past that. I'm with you. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Some of the reasons for banning it were more legit than others, I think. The one about the spider licking her lips was really crazy to me. I was like, what? That's like literally one sentence. And also, what? <laughs> <laughs> It feels like they just wanted a reason to ban it, and that was the first one they could find. Ratings? Yeah. I'm going to give this book a 7.5. Whoa. That's higher than books you've said you've liked more. I really enjoyed it. It was a read that I was not looking forward to. Like, I was kind of dreading it being like, I don't know, because it wasn't a book that I loved a lot and reread as a kid. But, you know, it was fast. I had a lot of fun. I thought the dialogue was good. I thought the illustrations were fun. I would recommend it to little kids still. People who are starting off on their first chapter books, like, I think it's fun. It's a step up from fairy tales. It's kind of timeless. There's not a lot of things that I felt it didn't need to be upgraded. There wasn't like, oh, this would be different because cell phones. Nah, I'm just a boy and a giant peach. Like, that's a good point. There's not a lot of ways you would modernize this, other than New York's response. Yeah. Kid just saying, hey, we're good. I don't think they'd be believed. Yeah, it was fun. It managed to be, like, a little gruesome and dark without being scary, even if you're scared of spiders. Good job, all around. I'm gonna go with a 6.5. I liked it. Like, it was a book I enjoyed. The writing is really good and fun and light. The text is really good. There's a lot of things I enjoyed. It is a really fast read, um, but it probably, honestly, if you ask me what happened in this book in a week, I will not totally remember. There's nothing in my head that really is something that's going to stick with me, I think, and there's nothing about it that I'm like, definitely want to reread this. I think maybe just because it's such a younger aimed book than a lot of the stuff that I would enjoy rereading, but something about it, I'm like, this was really good. I'm done. It's fine. I think there's a reason his other books stuck with me more than this one. And I'm sure we'll get to some of the other ones. So maybe I'll find out if that's true or not, or if it's just because I read them later. But I feel like there's a reason this one didn't totally stick with me. And so I'm like, 6.5, like it's good. It's a good book. I would recommend, you know, I think this is a good book for kids to read. 
there's a reason it's a classic. It does still hold up, but it's not something I, an adult, necessarily resonate with on any level. It's a fun fairy tale for kids with a lot of murder. Would you recommend this for anyone? Yeah, like I said, I'd recommend it to any little kids, readers or not. Like, if you, especially if you read out loud to kids, which I think we've mentioned before, like, this is, like, a good book to be, like, read a chapter aloud a night, Mm -hmm. you know? It'll last you, like... The songs will make more sense. Two weeks. It's not too long. Yeah, I think it's pretty much a genuine classic for me. Like, I think almost any little kid could read it and enjoy it. I think that's all I got. Thank you, everyone, for coming back for yet another week. Um, If you have many feelings on peaches or insects or insects that live in peaches, you can write to us at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter. And by, like, me, I do mean me. Emily does not social media. Nope. So you can find me at throwbackbspod. Our music is Heartbreaker by Jazar, betterwithmusic.com. If you do like this podcast, you would soothe my soul. You would make my heart fly if you left a review for us on iTunes at, you know, wherever you leave reviews for iTunes. I don't know. iTunes store. just on iTunes. Just on iTunes. On your iTunes thing. Other than that, I hope you all have a lovely time. We will be back with our next book, which is Gary Paulson's The Island. I'm very excited. Emily's not. We got through this whole podcast without singing the song Peaches. I'm sad for us. (laughs) Millions of peaches. I'm not singing it. Okay. (laughs) Here we are reading this week. Reading a book, and the book of the week is James and the Giant Peach. Oh my god, that's so good! Thank you. I just made that up.